Welcome to the DOPA podcast, fueling conversations around creative wellness and turning negative barriers into positive tools for mental success. Brought to you by the Department of Proactiveness and your host, Alex Normanton. Joining me today is Garrick Stone, co-founder and creative director of the Stone Twins Amsterdam. We discuss how to move away from uniformity in design to a more diverse representation within the creative industry. Good afternoon, Garrick. We are in the Adam Torren Tower building in Amsterdam, very much the home of the Stone Twins. Just want to thank you for your time, for your hospitality, for the lunch, the teas, the coffees. Very special blend of tea, I have to say. I'd like to thank you, Alex, for hosting me. It's an honor and a privilege to be part of this really exciting platform. I'm looking forward to how that tea kicks in later on today. <laughs> so let's dive right in. We're here to talk about from uniformity to diversity, the work that we put out into the world, the mindset behind it, more diverse representation of people within the creative industry. Just in preparation for the session, you kind of mentioned that, you know, all high street, fashion, advertising, brand identities are all the same. That's a pretty bold statement. And I'm just wondering why you feel that way. It's quite obvious when you go to any major city, particularly in Europe, where the high streets have just homogenized. So you'll see here's Zara's or H&M's, Starbucks. I mean, it's, it's well known that these global chains have just taken over city centers. So as a result, yeah, the authentic character and let's say the indigenous culture is slowly disappearing. And you can see that also with the gentrification of cities, a lot of big brands moving in, uh, co-working spaces and so on. So to a certain extent, yeah, the landscape of cities, the city environment is changing. And that's, I, I guess, filters down into design and all aspects and branding. I sense a kickback and I think people are looking for a return to local cultures, mm -hmm. personality, spirit, and a sense of kind of local soul that's missing in a lot of these identities. There's a return to having a connection to a brand through their authentic story to move towards a more diverse way of working, way of thinking, representation um, in terms of personality, which is very, very linked to brand identity. Why, why do you think we're in that phase right now? Well, I think ultimately we're, we're all human. So we need that contact. We need um, a sense of connection. And I think as corporations, as brands become bigger and bigger, they homogenize. The corners become more round because they're trying to speak to a broader audience. So as a result, they have less and less distinction and less and less standout. So I understand from a bottom line perspective why brands do this. I'll put it this way. When, when you go on vacation or holiday and you stay in a hotel, if you look at a brand like uh, the, the W here in Amsterdam, it's almost like this hotel has just parachuted in from LA. It has no resonance with local culture, has no real connection. And although I'm, my Dutch is really terrible, I've had so many times or friends remark that they get frustrated when they go in there and the staff don't even speak Dutch. So I think from a hospitality perspective, mm -hmm. I think it's really important that hotels, hotel chains like the W embrace local culture and identity. 
because actually that's what people want when they come to Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. That's the way I see it. Declan and I were involved with a hotel project about two years ago where we had to come up with a name of a hotel in Amsterdam, New West. So our solution was the Met Hotel, which obviously in English is abbreviation for Metropolitan, Metropolis and so on. But from a local Dutch culture, it literally means wit. So you have a fantastic uh, array of Dutch phrases, met vrienden and groot. Which is pretty good Dutch, by the way. Yeah, met liefde, met um, but touch a met, or met sonder, which is a bit bizarre, but and so on. So in a way, it's, this, it's trying to connect with the locals. So there's nothing, so our intention together with the hotel um, owner was to create an environment where the hotel bar would be full of locals. So, yeah, from that kind of real experience of a brand, that's ultimately what we seek. And I think as, as humans, um, yeah, we're looking for connections and, yeah, a smile in the mind. So any brand or any project you're working on, you, you're trying to get to the heart of what is this about and how is it going to connect with people and it should feel real. There's nothing worse than something that's super contrived mm -hmm. and it's just being pulled out of a box of tricks in a, a marketing agency. Yeah. If there's lack of personality and lack of identity, then you do start to get to this uniformity, a way of things looking and talking ultimately. There, obviously there's a rise of the internet, wiki templates, Adobe software, people can download Instagram filters. And so everything has this veneer of that looks polished, looks nice. But in terms of that greater depth of thinking and idea behind the work, do you think those tools have been to almost be a veneer of creativity over the idea itself? For sure. I mean, it's so incredibly easy to make something look great or to make it look professional or slick. But ultimately, yeah, a lot of that type of work just becomes bland. It's kind of that kind of eye candy of, you know, it's nice that where everything is slick and instant and quite accessible. But I think as you have just mentioned, yeah, what's, is there another layer? Is there a smile in the mind? Is there something visually intriguing? Is there a challenge there in trying to decipher, oh, there's a second layer or a third layer? I think there's a lot of that missing. Yeah. There will be a return to concept-led design. We, we used to say to our students, um, yeah, what do you want to say? Yeah, what's that great quote from Tibor Kalman? Graphic design is a, is a language, it's not a means to an end. Um, yeah. So essentially that's what Declan and I see ourselves. It's just one of a few different things that we can avail of to, to communicate some of these message. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's like a palette. But I think that when we were in college, 20 plus years ago or <laughs> yeah you you really actively had to go out and source images fonts the material to create uh, a poster or the material to create a book you literally had to get dirty you had to jump on your bike or go to the local library or go to the news agents so if you wanted a you know a photograph of madonna you really had to search for one and invariably you would never find the right one. And then you'd be busy on a photocopier, flipping it and making it bigger and smaller and so on. Whereas these days, mm -hmm. as we're all aware, everything is just so instant, uh, accessible, mm -hmm. and you get that sense of instant gratification. 
that desire to make work and the process of making it, because it was extrapolated over hours or days, you were more tensely involved. So there was a, a thinking process involved. Whereas nowadays, everything is just so instant. When you're making things and being involved with the process, there's actually a richer story being being made and being able to be told. Kind of feel it as well, in a way. And I think there's so many great things in what you just said. I mean, the smile in the mind, Alan Fletcher, Fletcher Forbes Gill, as a way of thinking, cutting through the noise with a simple idea, A, and then B, oh, there's an added layer to it, is super smart. O and C, it's beautifully crafted. And, and I think sometimes we, as an industry or as designers or as creatives, maybe focus too much on the execution rather than the actual what is the heart of this idea, because that's ultimately what's gonna make the idea stand out and is gonna connect with people. Because of these tools, it's kind of gone the other way, hasn't it? It's almost like, let's concentrate on the luck of it rather than, but what are you trying to say back to your student? A lot of it can be like visual masturbation where it's people just playing with form, um, which is fine. If anything, the, the graphic design part of what I do or Declan does, is not necessarily the thing that stimulates us. Um, and maybe you can see that we've a lot of a few friends who've said to us, why didn't you design that? Or <laughs> <laughs> it's not very well designed. And yeah, uh, on reflection, some things I've, I look back and go, okay, that wasn't the main thing why I got into it. Yeah. So uh, as in designing for designers rather than designing for the people it's aimed at. I've nothing against niche or esoteric work. Don't get me wrong. I think that obviously there's a a place for it but it's it's about putting things into perspective and it depends on the project of course you know that was another thing we'd always poke the students with yeah who is your audience if it's just one person in a gallery fine if it's a hundred thousand or a hundred million fine but define it mm -hmm. and then try to yeah make that connection and again it's yeah how does your work resonate who are you speaking to and will it trigger somebody or resonate with them and yet yeah, that's as I'm kind of reflecting on that, we're, we're in such a wonderful profession. Mm -hmm. So if there's any young people listening to this, yeah, it's such an exciting, invigorating profession. Yeah. Although we mentioned the fact that all oh, these tools are so accessible and so on. In a way, that's a good thing because people have more time to concentrate on what they want to say. Um, and there's other aspects of the process can only be valued more because you have more time to put into the content as opposed to how it looks, which is a good thing as well. The tools that are all available as as a tool. It can't think for you. The only person that can think is yourself and the person who's working on that assignment or branding projects or an idea for something. That's something we were always taught actually. It can't think for you. The best thing you could do is start sketching and start writing. And there's no point sitting in front of a computer for six hours pushing pixels around because it's not going to solve it for you. And don't use the computer as a thinking tool. Use it as a, a tool to produce your idea. Yeah, the challenge definitely these days is to, yeah, the content. What do you want to say? And how do you communicate it? Although, let's say the veneer, the, the initial entry point into uh, contemporary websites, maybe they all look the same, but it's the tone of voice, it's the verbal identity, it's the way photography is used, and so on. So there's a lot more elements and a lot more to consider these days 
for any young branding or graphic designer, which is completely different than in our day, 20 plus or 30 years ago. I'm not that old. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not there. So let's say 30 years ago, it yeah. was okay just to specialize in logos, yeah. graphic forms. That was fine. Nowadays, there's an expectation mm -hmm. um, to have a much broader skill set. So although the two, I know it's a bit of a paradox or an oxymoron, but although the tools make things more accessible and more easy to make it look slick, there's still much more expected mm -hmm. of young designers. So a conceptual driven idea, which has a greater story, which in turn leads onto a, a bigger personality, um, not just, yeah, the t-shirt the you wear or the glasses that you wear, actually it's the whole package, how you look, how you talk, how you behave. So if you apply the personality and the identity of a person to a brand, then effectively we're saying it has to be a deeper, richer story in order for people to connect. Yeah, I think the days of comprehensive house style or corporate identity manuals are long gone because they were very dictatorial, kind of top down. This is how it is. Follow the rules. Um, so there was no um, space for an inclusive process or to empower people mm. who actually take that brand to the next level. So these days, brands, it's all about what the client, how they can work with it. So yeah, the analogy of a person, how it looks, how it talks, how it walks, even how it smells. Mm -hmm. I think ultimately it's about delivering experiences. Yeah, exactly. I was just going to say that. It's, it's wider beyond visual and verbal, actually. It's, it's holistic as an experience when you encounter a brand that goes much deeper. I mean, it kind of reminds me of, um, yeah, Steve Jobs and Jonathan Ive, you know, obviously stunning, beautifully designed products that is an experience when you open the box and get an Apple product out. But actually within the product itself, it's been beautifully curated and designed inside out. And, you know, not many people know or even see what the inside of an Apple product looks like, a laptop or a desktop iMac. But actually the designers behind it have designed the inside as lovingly and creatively as the outside. I think if you're into a holistic experience, you need to think about those things a lot more. And that is the challenge today with, with big brands, because as you mentioned, it's more than just how it looks. In a way, that's the easy part, Yeah. especially with all these cheap and accessible tools. Yeah. It's, yeah, how does it talk? Yeah. So the sense of verbal identity is really, really key. And a lot of times, yeah, that can be an extension of the name. And that's something that we're asked more and more to do, the names of brands. Um, and I guess at my stage of life, <laughs> I'm quite enjoying much more writing. So that's something for both Declan and I that we enjoy more and more to do. Because mm -hmm. as I mentioned earlier, the graphic design part is not something that I get particularly excited by. Mm. Not anymore. I mean, occasionally. Or all creative people should have the ability to write be it an, an idea, a rationale, or even just, yeah, a headline occasionally. You know, I've, I've seen a couple of um, people who have worked with in the past saying, yeah, I don't, I don't write stuff, so we now need a copywriter. But actually, I think if you can write the sentiment of where you do want to get to with this and then, you know, work with a copywriter to bring that to life a bit more, then that's of, often half the battle, I think. The love of writing, I think, is integral to knowing what this persona or this this brand sounds like in written form is really important. Yeah, I think it's important that 
all designers or creators can articulate what you're presenting. I think it's, it's key. Going back to the student life or teaching students or mentoring students, we always emphasize, yeah, how, yeah, what is the elevator pitch? You know, how can you distill the complexity of this wonderful idea or this wonderful project that you've created? How can you distill it in two or three sentences? What's the takeout? It's really, it's, it's quite difficult. Mm. People's attention spans are so incredibly short and getting shorter. Mm. Yeah, the, the ability to write succinct sentences is really key and to articulate your project is, is essential. Mm. That's definitely something that needs more and more um, mm. attention or focus within design schools. So just for the people who are listening, obviously you and um, Declan used to be heads of department at the design Academy in Eindhoven. Yeah, we were the head of department uh, for five years. Yeah. We resigned in 2014. It was fantastic. Mm. The actual students ground level mm. role was just absolutely invigorating, very inspiring. The energy, the vibes, the ability to share and to be open, inclusivity, all wonderful. Unfortunately, the management was the complete opposite. There is a connection between identity in terms of personal identity and connection to identity in terms of design. Um, and I think wrapped up in that and how we get away from uniformity is bringing identity and character actually um, to the foregrounds. And yeah, I was just reflecting on recent recent events um, where I, I can't remember who said it actually. It might have been one of the leaders of IDEO where I said, you know, take a look around your company, go and sit in reception and just hang out there for 15, 20 minutes and just, just watch people and see who's coming in, who's coming out. What, what are people wearing? Um, are, they all, are they all dressed the same? Are they all acting like each other? Is there a kind of cultural um, template that people are fitting into as an employee? And that will give you a good barometer on what type of agency this is, what type of people work there. And I thought that was really interesting and insightful. And, and I actually did it at one of my previous agencies and, and just did that exercise. And, and it was totally right. There was, there was a type of person who was s sort of fitting into that um, agency culture. And um, yeah, I remember one guy saying to me, you know, may maybe this agency just isn't the right fit for you. And maybe you don't fit the mold of this particular agency and i just thought that's really interesting because surely that's the polar opposite to what creativity should be about it shouldn't be about fitting a mold it's all about personality and standing out you know all the rhetoric we say about brands and how we should be working with them what's fascinating with the design landscape these days is you've got a lot of the large consultancy firms who are having in-house design teams and offering design as a service so on one end of the spectrum, you've got those type of agencies who, I guess, are just driven by the bottom line. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got boutique agencies like the wonderful Tonic, who you interviewed uh, a few weeks ago. Basically, there's room for everybody. But I think if you're defining an agency by the people that work there, I think perhaps it's better to define them by the output of their work. It's fine. I think for large scale work, you don't, maybe I'm going to put myself out of business, you don't necessarily need so much personality and spirit and wit. In fact, there's no space or room for that. 
So it depends on the client. Um, so again, the world of consultancy, banking, um, yeah, sometimes there's a reason why work is quite austere, um, inaccessible perhaps, and yeah, just well done, but it, there's no spark, there's no smile in the mind. So that's okay. And it very much strikes me in terms of how you think and how you work. It should have some soul and some character and an idea and have legs to travel. And I'm just curious to unpack where that comes from. Obviously, you're, you're a twin uh, with Declan, and, and maybe that's part of that attitude in your work. And so, yeah, do you, do you want to tell us a little bit about that and maybe how that's in, informed your approach to creativity? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I joked that Declan and I were basically uniform until we were 18 or 19. So everything was the same. Our CVs were exactly the same. The only difference was our names at the top of the CV. And then when we entered art school, we realized, whoa, this is something to fight against, I guess. That uniformity, you mean? The, yeah, this uniformity. That was just, we just took for granted. We were twins. So, our, you know, when we were very young, our parents used to dress us exactly the same. So if we see photographs of under the age of 10, we can't distinguish. Nobody knows who's who. As we got older, of course, we, we changed our personalities and so on, but and our physical appearances. Um, but I think art school, we rebelled against that. And then when we left art school, we, uh, we went to two different countries. So I immigrated to County Longford in the middle of Ireland. <laughs> Declan went to um, Rotterdam. Then I went to London. So we had a few years of trying to figure out stuff. But I think we, we were always aware of... Um, the value in having uh, an image as in being a twin. So we were always regarded as tw the twins. So in fact, the name of our company, the Stone Twins, that's what we've been called since we were five. Yeah. Um, so in a way we've been, it's kind of come naturally, that sense of having an identity and using it um, to our advantage. So definitely within the world of creativity and design, yes, it's helped us, but I think more than, more than that, fundamentally being a twin offers you um, an innate uh, respect for the other person and trust. And I think these kind of uh, basic values are really, really key. Um, yeah, for a few years or for, you know, at least 10 years, but Declan and I weren't working together. So we were working in different agencies. Declan went to New York. I was at 180. We were in environments where people didn't share ideas or concepts or there was no sense of collaboration that we were used to and we missed that. And that's why we came back together and formed our own business. Um, but I think, yeah, that sense of identity and uniformity was, is just something that was in us. In fact, Declan always jokes that he was only an individual for 10 minutes of his life because <laughs> he, he was born first. And then he kind of kicked me back in, but it didn't. So I think... Um, it sounds like you're using that relationship and that experience of being a twin and growing up in that uniform, yeah, physical uniform and mindset of uniformity and channeling that into a more diverse way of working uh, and outlook on, yeah, the, the kind of projects you're doing. It's possible, but definitely this sense of uh, uniformity 
Um, what does it mean? It's a big word. Um, as we mentioned earlier, the global society, uniformity is, yeah, it's just there. I think, yeah. you know, there's another kind of reference or a kind of an anecdote that's probably worth talking about. When Declan and I grew up in Ireland in the 70s and 80s, Ireland was a pr pretty bleak place economically. There wasn't much self-confidence and there certainly wasn't much money. So as a result of that, you had a really rich music and art scene. So obviously you had U2, Boomtown Rats, um, Sinead O'Connor. So a lot of really great art came out of that kind of hunger or that anger, desire to, to be heard or to be seen or to, to protest, the sense of uh, rebellion. And so it's well known art, great art comes out of that. Likewise, in the UK, you had the, the punk movement in the mid 70s. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you look at Ireland in the 90s or in the noughties, where Ireland became more affluent and rich, you had the Celtic Tiger and so on, a lot of big tech firms moving to Ireland. And what's the result of that? Westlife, <laughs> boys own, um, you know what I mean? Yeah. The most bland Jedward. Well, at least Jedward had a bit more character. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's um, that's what affluence does to art. And commercialism. Yeah, it makes people complacent. It's, and it kind of filters out and smothers their, their soul and their identity and this sense of individuality. So I think we're probably going full circle now in the conversation, but... I think there's a lot of truth in that. I think that, but there are also movements within the creative industry, Black Lives Matter, more female empowerment, the pay divide, uh, more female creative leaders. How do we get more diverse people from different backgrounds? How do we get more diverse thinking and output? You don't see attitude, much attitude on the street anymore. When I was a kid, there were so many different fractions. You had punks, you had the ska guys, you had the reggae kids. Um, there was all these kind of um, uniforms of society, guy, like kind of a gang mentality. People identified with a tribe. And I think these days the tribes have become less and less um, more unified, more quiet, more restrained. And that's probably a good an analogy for a lot of the way design is as well. It's, it's not just about the gesture, is it? It's about what's fundamentally being changed through education, through recruitment policies, diverse backgrounds, diverse people from different socioeconomic backgrounds, cultural backgrounds, racial backgrounds, just a representation of different types of people being represented in the industry and then you get a different type of creativity and a diverse set of thinking. Going back to the Design Academy, yeah, it's, it's probably 10 years ago where there was a board meeting and I remarked on the fact that out of probably 400 students down there, 500 students, there was literally four or five black students. So it was a very simple question at the board meeting. Why is this? Because that's not a reflection of society. It's not a reflection of the streets around the Design Academy. It's not a reflection of most people's neighborhoods these days, the 21st century. And I think it's a difficult question, but it's, I think it, it goes 
right down to schools, schooling. It goes down to how colleges market themselves. Perhaps the design academy was too much focused on the Asian market because obviously those students pay quite a lot in fees. It's a cultural and it's a social issue as well. Um, and maybe perhaps uh, design is not seen as a, as a good um, career if you come from a bad neighborhood. I know from talking to DNAD recently and their shift program is all designed around people who can't afford a university education, who have talent and, and should be invested in. And so they have bursaries to champion that talent. And I think it starts from the ground up. Kind of a combination of different things coming together, isn't it? It's not just a siloed, okay, if we change the education system, that's going to be enough. It's it's education, it's employment processes. Yeah, getting getting bursaries in, in art colleges, getting investors to, you know, invest in people, design bodies, you know, talent that's coming through that's not through the usual channels. I think it's a combination of lots of different things. That, no, exactly. I think it's um, the more diversity within an agency, so not just color of skin, but um, culturally, backgrounds, um opinions yeah i mean there's nothing worse than just a studio that's vanilla yeah. where people not just look the same but act the same or i think diversity should be encouraged of course but diversity in the full spectrum of what that word means um and it's too easy just to to label to so to go back to that term again label people and say recruitment policies hr obviously it's a a lot of it is political and it's becoming more and more political. Um, but I think you can constrain people and you can have a, a sense of positive discrimination where it's, yeah, it's not good for anybody. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, I think people should be hired and fired on the merits of what they, they bring to an organization or a company. Um, and if they happen to be black or yellow or purple, fine. But I think it's mm-hmm. it goes much much deeper than that because it really start it has to start in mm-hmm. in the colleges and as I said, when you go to any contemporary design school, there's very few students of ethnic background. Mm-hmm. It's if the if people are talented, they should be um, chosen for their talent or or their the value of their mm-hmm. their personalities and what they can contribute to a process rather actually than the color of their skin and i know that's probably not a um some people won't like that remark but you can see the kickback at the moment with black lives matter and mm-hmm. i think the point was made almost a year ago and it's up to everybody to to do the, something more than just take a knee or make a symbolic gesture what would you say to a design student about to enter the industry what pearls of wisdom do you have? Be yourself. You have the confidence in your own story. They shouldn't feel that they have to conform. Have an authentic opinion, have an authentic voice, and just do it in your way. And I think people will respond to that. There's nothing worse than a contrived person who's trying to fit in or is trying, who has these expectations that, oh, this is the way it should be or this is how it should look. No, you should set it on your own terms. But I think the world is crying out for authentic voices and nobody can take that away from you. So have a bit of a spirit, a confidence, 
and also humility. There's nothing worse than meeting young designers or students who just have a very big opinion of themselves because they have X amount of followers or they get X amount of likes on their posts. And you're like, well, this is not really the way to quantify the quality of work, actually. That can give them a false impression of themselves. So in a way, it's not their fault, but I think it's about putting things into perspective and understanding that there's no point in having a great, fantastic designer if they're just an asshole. So yeah, humility is key. The sense of empathy, it's a people business. So terms like B2B, no, it's P2P, people to people. So identity and personality and diversity all play a role in creative expression. And I think if we're open to changing things, we're going to get a, a more diverse and unique way of communicating, which ultimately is going to stop us drifting into the uniformity side of creativity, which ultimately is, I think, what we all desire and seek. And fundamentally, how brands should be thinking as well. Yeah. So many, so many good insights, a lot of practical knowledge for people in the industry, be it a student or a professional, actually. I think those timeless truths are there in whatever stage you're at in the career. So, yeah, I think, I think we have a lot of good material here. Okay. Well, that's a relief. Can I put my clothes back on now? Yeah, for sure. Okay, thanks. I was wondering when you were going to ask. <laughs> it's getting a bit nippy. Yeah, I want to thank you again for your time, your expertise, being candid and, and sharing your nuggets of wisdom. Yeah, I look forward to the next uh, episodes. Which, which maybe we do your brother. Yeah, okay. Because he'll completely either agree or disagree with everything you've said. Well, of course, it will be completely different because we're, we're always arguing. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the other thing about being a twin. We, uh, we tell it how it is. Yeah. Hey, thanks so much, Alex. Uh, it's been a pleasure. This podcast was brought to you by the Department of Proactiveness and was recorded in accordance with the social distancing rules. If you are a brand interested in sponsoring future episodes of DOPA or you simply want to get in touch, please email info at thedopa.com. <laughs>